The numbers all go to 11, 11, 11, 11, These go to 11. Man, a great movie scene is like a great song. It just never gets old. I wish I had an amp that went to 11, but I have a show that goes to 11. For you today, we have episode 11 of No Guitar is Safe. I'm Jude Gold. And who better to celebrate all things 11 with than Nita Strauss? That's right. You're listening to the amazing, badass, lethal, dangerous, and totally inspired and totally inspiring guitarist, Nita Strauss. She's perfect for this episode because she lives her whole life on 11. She just takes it to the top, whatever she does. Like, for example, maybe you might have seen her with Alice Cooper. She's blowing up in this band. Of course, there are two other great guitar players in the band, Ryan Roxy and Tommy Henriksen. However, she gets tons of spotlight, including a big cadenza, as you'll find out. What you're hearing right now is from a video game soundtrack. She's playing on the song Stains of Time. That's from the video game Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. I say that like I know what that is, but I was always afraid of video games because I was afraid I would really fall in love with one. And then I'd come home and instead of turning on my amplifier and playing guitar, I'd be turning on an Xbox or something. That just sounds horrifying, even though I do want to get the new Madden. But that's another story. Nita, of course, has done a bunch of other killer things, such as playing in the Iron Maidens for a few years, the Iron Maiden Tribute Band. That was funny for me because that meant I was up at 8 a.m. before our 11 a.m. interview learning some uh, Iron Maiden and Alice Cooper tunes because, of course, I wanted to run some of that with Nita when we're both plugged in. And by the way, you might hear me refer to Iron Maiden's great documentary as Flight 66. I know it's Flight 666. I got the number of the beast on vinyl when I was 13. In fact, when I was in London most recently, I stayed right across the hall from room 666, the hotel room of the beast in some hotel. Thought that was funny. Another cool gig that Nita did was a giant tour with Michael's brother. You know who Michael is, of course. Michael's brother, Jermaine Jackson. She had quite the set list and quite the band on that gig. Wow. But I was just really inspired talking to Nita because not only is she a fantastic player, she believes in the possibilities and she believes in things working out. She's a positive person. She really connects with her surroundings. And you know, I got chills at two different points in this interview. One was when she revealed the lineage of her last name because when I was like four years old, my first favorite band was Strauss. Yeah, way before I got into the Beatles or Earth, Wind & Fire, I was listening to the Space Odyssey soundtrack. So that's amazing to me, that part of the interview. And also later on, when she talks about how there is no guitar Barbie, there's very few role models for girls who want to become blazing, shredding guitar heroes, and that she inspires some of them, and she motivates them. That's, That's cool. That's what it's all about. What are we without our heroes? So let's go plug in with Nita. We're going to copter over to one of the coolest buildings in Los Angeles, Swing House Studios. This is not a commercial for Swing House. I just know the place and I love it. Phil is my friend, Phil Jargois. He's a president of Swing House. 
He's a great supporter of the local music scene. He's also a rep for Black Star Amps and D'Addario Strings and Planet Waves and Mapex, Promark, all these great brands. And he's got this great facility. Don't take my word for it. Ask Aerosmith. They recorded their latest album there in the studio room. Green Days rehearsed there. Every band plays there. You know, you can rehearse there if you want to. It's just a great facility. Phil really believes in the scene. And uh, he hooked us up with a great room with a couple of Black Star amps. We're going to plug in. I think Nita's using a Series 1, and I'm using the 50-watt club head, whatever that is. We both got 4x12s, and we're there to rock for you. Quick shout-out to Adam Johnson, my good buddy who really has helped immensely with this podcast, in particular this episode. Also, want to send a shout-out to Guitar Player Magazine for helping make this happen every week. We're going to zoom over to the studio where me and Nita are hanging out. I brought my E-flat Van Halen guitar with the caution tape because I thought maybe that was my most rocking E-flat guitar. And there we are. Let's do it. No guitar is safe. I love that caution tape. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, you know. It's got style, man. When you don't have hair and you're in a Van Halen band, you can have a <laughs> Van Halen tribute band. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can always go the wig route, which I just don't. I don't. I think it looks tacky when tribute bands do that. Like try to look too much like the band. Like it's cool, oh, but yeah. it's it's sometimes there's this one tribute band called Damage Inc. where the singer looks so much like there's this band is so into their thing. I think the singer has actually morphed into James Hetfield. Like <laughs> he's actually sort of like he uh, looks more like James Hetfield than James Hetfield does now. Man, there are some great tributes out there. I I just yeah. played a gig in Aeromyth, open for Jeff Hurst and Starship for us in El Paso. I've seen them. I've played with, when I was in the Iron Maidens, we played with Aeromyth, and they were rad. They, yeah, they got the look. The Joe Perry yeah. guys got the look and the sound, which is killer. And the singer, oh my God. I think if, if I'm thinking of the right one, we played with them at one of these like bike rallies. There's like a... Uh, uh, Laughlin, Nevada bike rallies, which are always like rowdy yeah. and really fun. But I remember that singer was nuts. Like he was twirling around in his scarves and the hair and the voice was dead on. It's it cool. And there's some good tribute bands out there. Yeah. It's hard to pull off looking exactly like the rock stars. And, yeah. uh, I, I'm with you. Like sometimes it's weird. Like, you know, from a hundred feet back, Hey, that looks like that so-and-so. could be them. From 10 feet back. It's like, Oh no. Oh, oh please get back. back. Go back to the back. That looks weird. Well, it's funny when I was playing in the Iron Maidens, um, Iron Maiden fans are some of the most like finicky fans. And I say that with all due respect and great love and affection for Iron Maiden fans. But man, they're hard to please, you know. And uh, and I was going, well, Dave Murray doesn't play in Ibanez. Dave Murray doesn't do this. Dave Murray doesn't do that. Dave, you know. And uh, and it it's you know, I think somebody actually suggested to Linda McDonald, their drummer, that she tape her nose down to look more like Nico McBrain. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's like really, guy. Like that's a little extreme. Yeah. You ever tried playing with tape on your nose? I mean, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I knew of one singer who was considering getting like you know, surgery, throat tuck, or whatever. Just to I mean, that, just for the tribute band. Like, hey, it's probably come on, just like a good excuse. It's probably just a good excuse you're to right. get like a little work done. No, no, no. I need it. Like, to like, explain to their husband or wife. No, I need it for the band, honey. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not for me. It's for the band. The band's gonna make it. <laughs> and, then, and then it would actually be a tax write-off. Yeah, you know, I listen. I have found a way to write anything off. You know, I, anything, anything I do, I'll find a way to write it off. I probably okay. shouldn't say that. Yeah, the IRS. Well, you know, some of them play guitar. It might be listening. Yeah, exactly. 
No, I don't think they might be too fussy and grumpy to play guitar. I think if they play guitar, they probably have a nicer outlook on life. Man, if I worked at IRS, I would play guitar every night. I'd just sit in there at home, I'd be home. I'd have the blues the, the so blues. bad. After that, if I worked at the IRS, I'd just be like this. <laughs> just blah. No, that's how they sound when they talk to you on the phone. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> That's sick. So, um, yeah, I think you know, I think tribute bands kind of get underrated a little bit. Like it's at first it was kind of a novelty, but now there's some really. If you can find a great band where you're making hundreds of dollars a night to play your guitar and you're playing the music that you love, yeah. And you and people are out there. Like sometimes when I play with the Van Halen tribute band, Hot for Teacher, it'll be a big drunk party in front That's of me. That's a good band. I didn't know you played in that. I knew you played in a Van Halen band. I didn't know it was that oh, one. Yeah. Well, I did it they for have two four guitar f- players or no. I did it for four or five years, okay. but when I joined Jefferson Starship, I haven't really done it. But yeah. I'm actually doing a gig coming up recently, and uh, filling in for Terry, who's back in the band. Yeah, Terry, it's a Terry Lauderdale, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know, I know who he is. He's great. So, um, but yeah, sometimes there's, there's one person who's right in front, who's watching you. You know, oh. who's uh. Actually, I was gonna. I was my purse all the way over there. I actually have a Terry Lauderdale guitar pick in my purse. Yeah. <laughs> Terry's my homie, man. I just talked to him yesterday. Oh, rad! Tell him I said hi. But um. Um, yeah, no, there is I, there is always one person watching in the front, and you just hope to God they don't pull their phone out and get that camera <laughs> out. Like, oh, please don't record this. Like, let me just do it. Let me just enjoy the show. You know, this this is the thing about playing shows these days. It's like everything is going up on YouTube. Everything is. You know, it takes it sort of takes away the surprise and the mystery. You know, the guys in my band were talking about it because we changed our set list recently. We started opening with uh, the Alice Cooper song "Black Widow" instead of "Hello Hooray," which we've been which we've been doing for quite some time, and everybody knew about it instantly. You know, people were like, "Oh my God, they started playing Black Widow." You know, we're getting you know comments from the UK and this and that. You know, why are you playing Black Widow? Why did you take "Hello Hooray" out of the set? There's no surprise anymore. There's no mystery, and and you know, people are going, "Oh, she just did the same guitar solo as she did the last time." You know, it's oh, man. you know, there's no. nothing fresh. No, I'm I'm old school. I remember I got ACDC back in black and first third album I ever got or whatever. And the only th- picture you knew of Angus was that blurry black and white photo inside the sleeve that was it there's yeah. there was nothing else other than maybe a magazine yeah it's not like it's not like you go on blabbermouth now and you see a picture of glenn danzig buying cat food you know you're never yeah. <laughs> like it sort of humanizes everybody you know and it's the same thing you know like people always you know especially with me which i'm sure we'll talk you know a little more about the female versus male you know musician thing but with me people are like you know if i have a if I have a, a week where I don't have a lot of sleep, you're like, wow, you look tired, you know, or like, you know, wow, you, you look skinny or you look fat or you look tired. Or you like, you know, there's, there's no mystery anymore. There's no, uh, you know, there's like you say, yeah. there's no like, you know, wow, this is what this person looks. Like. I wonder what they really look like, you know, in their day to day life. Everybody knows what everybody looks like going to eat or, you know, waking yeah. up in the morning, walking their dog. And you know, Fabio gets hit by a seagull on the roller coaster <laughs> and breaks his nose. And Wait, did it. I miss something? I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best example I could think of. That was a few years ago. And he was actually. That's hilarious. Part of a prom- it was a promotion. And uh, I think yeah. uh, unfortunately. Well, it's, that, it's, it's, it's a little bit funny. Though. It's a little funny. I mean, it's very unfortunate, but it was part of it. The bird was in the wrong place. That bird was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it got really famous. It was the first time the roller coaster ran, so the bird wasn't expecting it. 
Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> it That's was actually pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> but you know, I was going to say also, sometimes there's that person in front of the tribute band though, who, and they're just there to see the music. And when you get the the notes actually right, you get pretty mm-hmm. get the solo pretty close, and yeah. you just see them. They're so happy. They're they're just like oh, absolutely watching, and that's kind of. And I think it's also about you know some people take the tribute thing so seriously. And the thing I always really liked about the Iron Maidens is they take the musicianship very seriously, but the band loves to have fun. You know, it's a it's a really high energy show. You know, Courtney Cox, the other guitar player, and I play really well together. Like, you know, really just a lot of energy and a lot of uh, a lot of camaraderie. You know, and that's what Iron Maidens like too. If you go to an Iron Maiden show, they're not standing around there being stuffy and frowning at people. You know, they're out there interacting. You know, pulling pulling the crowd into the show. You know, and and enjoying themselves. And that's what that yeah. band has that I like. Oh man, Iron Maidens. Yeah, Iron Maiden too. As you, it's just such a great posse. And oh if you, anyone has not seen Flight sixty six, I mean, yeah, how, Flight sixty six is like, like the one of the best band. documentaries I think ever. Yeah, I mean, the lead singer's flying the freaking plane. How's that for a camaraderie? And then, yeah, uh, it's just yeah, if so I was that singer, I think I would rather somebody else fly the plane. <laughs> like, I, uh, I know. I mean, the last thing I want to do, like, you know, I, I've i been in a lot of bands where we toured in vans, you know, we toured, you know, like we'd get off, we'd get off stage and we'd try to sell $40 worth of merch and then we'd drive to the next city. Last thing I want to do is drive the van. Like, I want to go to sleep. And that's, that's you know, Bruce Dickinson doing a two-hour show every night. I can't believe he gets up and flies the plane. Oh, yeah. Well, they have... I'm sure it's not that night after the gig like we yeah. used to, but... There's pilot regulations. You have to have eight hours of <laughs> sleep. I wish there was band regulations like that. Yeah. Like, you have to have eight hours of sleep before you yeah. go on stage. That'd be... They have it for our drivers. Why can't they have it for us? I know, right? That's You know, totally we're, they're up. getting us up at 4 a.m. to go do morning shows and then go straight to the gig that night and then drive straight to the next show. Like, I wish they would make a regulation and we get, you know, a decent amount of rest and food do you sleep a lot when you come back from tour or just chill out for a couple days you know i wish that i could i wish that you know everyone says oh you know you must be so tired you must be ready to get home and do and rest but when i get home that's the time that i have to do all the stuff that i didn't get to do on tour so you know i've literally been home I, i've been home 10 days now i think and this is the longest i've been home since february like you know it's just been non-stop go 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 between the Alice oh, yeah. shows and, and clinics and all this. I get home. I'm like, oh, I got to do my taxes. I got to get my car insurance back so I can drive my car. And it's like, you know, it's all this stuff that you don't really think about until you get home. And, you know, someplace, somewhere in there, you try to have some semblance of a normal life and maybe see two friends. And I try to cook dinner for my boyfriend every once in a while and, like, try to at least maintain some s- tiny piece of normality before you get back into the craziness that is the road. Yeah. Well, it's such a thrill watching you do all your craziness. A good place, I guess, is Thank uh, you. Facebook, right? Your artist Facebook, page. Yeah, Facebook is is, is right. such a great tool now. You know, but it's interesting. It's also a double edged sword. Like we were talking about YouTube, it's a double edged sword because it sort of takes away the humanization of like talking to people. You know, I can't remember the last time one of my friends from home called me and said, "So how how are you doing? How's the road been?" everybody knows they'd say how's the road i saw that you were just in philly and you did this and somebody got you a cool t-shirt well let's maybe we could play a little bit of maiden real quick man you must have so much fun when you've done that it is so much fun i mean i think it's like the best of all worlds because they have the epic lead singer with an incredible vibrato that just fills the stadium and then they have these musical breaks that go on and on part after part they're like you know extended instrumental sections that people are just headbanging to for so long yeah it's it's crazy like you know with with iron maiden you rarely see people sing along to the instruments as much as you do at iron maiden shows and uh you know like 
I'll be playing, you know, even playing main songs in my clinics, and I'll hear people singing along, you know, and you know, like like in Fear of the Dark, they go, whoa, 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 like they'll sing the guitar line along with the band. It's like, that's amazing. I can't think of a lot of other bands that people do that with. I know, they love it. They just, you know, 30,000 people headbanging to yeah. this instrumental five-minute section is incredible. Hopefully most of them sound better than I just sounded just now. <laughs> There's well, a reason why we play guitar and not sing. <laughs> yeah, they, they had help too. They had the band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why they sounded better than me. Well, let's play some of that. Let's see. You're dark. All right, okay. count us off, Nita. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Oh shit! You must have so much fun playing those songs. Oh my god, so much fun, so much fun, and it was like always playing off each other. Always, you know, it was like a really. It's it's great to be in a band with another great guitar player that you're good friends with and you can have friendly competition with, you know, and just push each other to be better, push each other to go harder on stage. And it's, Courtney, it's Cox. Fun. Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. She's just an aggressive player. I love the way she plays. I do Throws too. down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Courtney's not going to get outplayed by anybody. <laughs> And then, of course, you had a great sub, too, Neely Brosh. Neely Brosh, yeah. Actually, I subbed for her. Oh, okay. I got into the band uh, when they needed somebody to sub for Neely, actually. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was back a few years now. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Neely is one of the greatest guitar players I know, really. Like, every time she posts her, like, lick of the week and stuff like that, <laughs> I text her. And I'm like, can you show me how you do that? I know. I'm like, scared to click on it every time. I'm like, oh, man. Here we go. Wow. 
yeah well how'd you and like and i always tell him like i'm like if i if i buy you coffee or something will you show him how to do that stuff every time she's like yeah come over come over i'm never home yeah it's tough and scheduling yeah she's her like, album's great too yeah, yeah she's got some monster players on there you have another player who plays with the maiden sometimes now newer new nikki stringfield yes she she's i too. believe the permanent guitar player for the last couple of years now badass yeah. well we've got to give her some props too oh yeah yeah you know the playing that stuff's not easy now, what did you do when you were a kid before you even played guitar? What were your first hobbies? Like, for me, it was the skateboard, and then the guitar wiped that out. What yeah. Was, what, was, what did you do before guitar? Gymnastics. Uh-huh. Gymnastics. And uh, I did ballet and gymnastics. My, so my dad is a musician. My dad comes from a long line of musicians, Strauss, you know, back to the composer. And That so name just freaks me out because, I mean, Strauss is so freaks impressive. me out, too. It's some big shoes to fill. So everyone, all you know, a lot of people think it's a stage name like Sebastian Bach or something. It's not. It's my actual last name. I'm actually, you know, really related to the composer on my dad's side. And so my dad's side of the family is like online musicians. I grew up in like a classical music household, you know, always were listening to, you know, classical music and, you know, on the weekends and at night and stuff in my home. And my mom is a dancer and a dance teacher. So I grew up doing ballet and gymnastics. And uh, when I discovered the guitar, I was actually on my way to like Junior Olympics. I was like, I think I was one place shy of being on the Junior Olympic team. I was in 11th place, 11th ranked in the US, like 11th ranked in the nation, like an alternate for the 10 person US Junior Olympic team. And then I started playing guitar and I never, I'm not even kidding, I never went back. I never went back to one practice. And this is how I spent my whole formative childhood, like from the time I could walk doing ballet classes, um, up until age 13. And I was like, well, on my way, I had sort of had this idea in my head, I'm going to do gymnastics, I'm going to go to the Olympics, I'm going to compete, and then I'm going to become a coach. And that's what I'm going to do with my life. And then um, my dad got me a guitar. And I didn't really know how to play Your mom never it. forgave him for that. <laughs> my mom, my no, mom is an angel. She's one of the most supportive <laughs> people, but I think she probably at the time was a little frustrated. Yeah. Um, I, so I got my first guitar. It was was a, there, did you ask for the guitar? Well, I started playing, I started out playing drums. I got sort of into music and um, I got a drum set and I was terrible at that. And then I got a bass and I thought it was boring. And uh, then I got a guitar. I got a little squire, like everybody gets a little pack with the, comes with the amp and the cable and a handful of, a handful of picks and a songbook. And, and a triangular cardboard box. Yes, in a triangular cardboard box. The first thing I did was change the scratch plate because that's what I do all my <laughs> guitars. Like from the very first guitar, I always customize them. But I didn't really get into it until I saw the movie Crossroads, ah. which every single person listening to this podcast has seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if not, scene. they better have seen it. It's on iTunes. Oh, man. So there's the and the infamous scene. You know, a lot yeah. of people resonate with different characters in that movie, but I think most people listening to this probably resonate with Steve Vai in that movie. And I just remember from the very first note that Vai played, I was like, oh. <gasps> That is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, how come, you know, I have my little dinky squire and my little dinky amp. And I was like, how come nobody told me you could do that with what I, with this? You like the guitar demon that was speaking to you, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. I got, I got bit by the bug and I literally never went back to gymnastics ever again. I went back to the gym one time to pick up my stuff that I left there. (laughs) I had a locker with my gym bag, my shoes and my leotards and all this stuff. Well, you need a bag to carry your cables and your pedals. Exactly. I needed that bag. (laughs) Well, I still have it, actually. I, I still do have that bag. Awesome. I keep my like extra cables and tools in it. Uh, and I remember my coach looked at me and tapped on her finger like, you're late. And I was like, I know. I picked up my stuff and walked out. Did you tell her you're <laughs> No. <quitting? laughs> I didn't even say goodbye. I was cold-hearted even then. 
You started touring pretty young too. I, I mean. did. I did. I started. So I started playing at 13. I played my first show that same, you know, probably within a couple months. It was a battle of the bands. And my band was so bad <laughs> that everybody left. Uh, we didn't we didn't sell enough tickets to get to play. So my dad had to buy like, you know, probably $60 worth of tickets so we could go on stage. And then it was like a death metal band. And we went on stage at 11 p.m. on like a Wednesday night. And the only people there were our drummer's girlfriend and I think the singer's sister or so the drummer's sister and the singer's girlfriend or something. Mm-hmm. And we were so bad that anyone that was straggling around for the other bands left and one of the judges left. You know, you see bands these days and they're everybody wants it easy everybody wants to just have it and nobody thinks about the time that you know everybody spends in bands just like sweating it out like grinding it out on the road like my band when i was 15 we didn't have a record deal we didn't have anybody helping us out you know we just we want to go on tour so we got we won some battle of the bands we got on warp tour and we just ground it out in a van you know the first time in a van the next time our van broke down and we had to tour in a truck, like a pickup truck. And we had this rock star energy endorsement at the time, which is, I can't even drink this stuff now because it just brings back all these memories of this, you know, grinding out at 15, 16 years old. And uh, our van broke down two miles from our house. And we had to leave the van on the side of the road, move the trailer over. To, our drummer had just gotten a truck. We had to move the trailer over to the truck and we had the the truck fit two people in the front and two had to lay down in the back on the camper shell like covered by the camper shell of the truck uh on top of all the rockstar energy <laughs> drink cans um much less tasty than this monster we're drinking now <laughs> monster um, in the house here monster Same in the house. house monster energy um and we had to sleep on these uncomfortable cans on sleeping bags for two months <laughs> and oh. in, uh, you know, driving through Texas and Arizona and all this stuff in 118 degree heat, trying to like just, just in there, at least we like lost some weight. It was like a sauna <laughs> in there, you know, no cell phones, no iPads, like just, you know, I no would just lay in, no in air conditioning. Back. I would just lay in there playing guitar. Like the guy from uh death clock, just, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. uh, just in there grinding it out. And, but that's what it takes sometimes. You know, that's what it, people don't think about the time that it takes and the work that it takes to just put in. You think, oh, I'm just going to get a record deal and then the label's going to give us money and then we're going to go on tour and be rich and famous and it's fun. You have to sweat it out. You have to, and that's how you get good. You don't get good just practicing at home or, you know, rehearsing with your band at Third Encore or, you know, wherever it is you guys jam at. You have to get out there and play in front of people. And I think that's the most important advice I could give to anybody about, any kind of music is just get out there and play play in a tribute band play in a original band you know whatever it takes just get out there and get your live chops together so when the opportunity does come to get on the big stage you're not stepping out there unprepared you're like boom i've done this a thousand times i this doesn't worry me you know when you've played in des moines iowa in front of you know four people and you're just gonna try to sell those four people maybe two of them will buy a shirt so you can get to the next gig and then the next day you know, you're back on Warped Tour playing at, you know, 6 p.m. in front of 600 people or 1,000 people or whatever. Then you go the next day right back to, you know, Dayton, Ohio in front of 16 people who are not there to see you and hate metal. And, like, that's the kind of thing. That's how you get your chops. That's how you get That's how you get it together. And yeah. people underestimate the value of that these days, I think. Now, um, well, you guys, even with the Maidens, 
you guys had like an, your own version of the Eddie monster, didn't Edwina. you? Edwina. Edwina. <laughs> yes. Derek Riggs, who made Eddie for Iron Maiden, designed Edwina for the Iron Maidens. And, uh, you know, the Iron Maidens, it's cool because they've got this whole full production show. They've got the Eddie and they've got the cyborg battle and they've got the devil and they've got uh, Eddie on stilts. So he's really tall. And it's, you know, it's a cool thing. And people ask me all the time, how did you transition into the Alice Cooper show? And it's like, well, it's just bigger monsters. Really, oh, their Eddie is seven feet tall. Our Frankenstein is ten feet tall. It's just sort of like, just maybe, probably fifteen feet tall, more like it. But it's just sort of bigger monsters and bigger moving pieces. Oh, That's all cool. it is. Now I can't wait to talk to you about Alice. But there's one band we got to touch on, and let me know if I'm skipping anything. Let's see. But Jermaine Jackson Jermaine Stadium Jackson. tour of <laughs> Africa or something. How <laughs> funny and weird that I ended up in that gig, right? Because he was like the lead singer back in the day before Michael Jackson became the front man. Yeah. He was there the whole way. So I've basically gotten where I've gotten in my career by anytime anybody calls me up for anything, I don't care what it is, I just say yes. Like, can you do this? Yes. Can you read music? Yes. Which I can't, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Many guitar players have made that lie. Oh, yes. Sure. What I can do is pick up music really quickly. So if someone says, can you read music? I say yes. They send over sheet music. I'll either just have somebody play it for me and learn it but like that or just be like, yeah, can you send me the songs so I can pick up the nuances and just learn it like that. And then, and it makes me look cooler because I'm the only one up on the stage without sheet music in front of me. I mean, reading music, if you can just really sight read it, cuts into your rock and roll factor. Yeah. Then yeah, you can't really rock exactly. Hard. That's why I don't read music because it's not metal. <laughs> it's not rock no. and roll. It is. I mean, like t- take someone like Tina Guo, who mm. is one of the most, phenomenally talented musicians that I know and uh and she can have sheet music in front of her or not and she's still a badass like she's still you know she's shredding it up on the cello like but and and I look at her I'm like I wish I could do that but I can't but I can do this (laughs) so um so so Jermaine uh I had uh I had gotten a call maybe a year and a half prior to audition for MJ to audition for Michael Jackson and that audition never ended up happening because he saw Orianthi, saw the guitar player that he got, and didn't want to see anybody else. He just decided, this is it, no pun intended, and right. and uh, didn't want to see anybody else. So the, the audition never ended up happening. And then um, when the Jermaine gig came up, they had a lot of members of Michael Jackson's band. They were doing a lot of Michael Jackson material. And uh, I got the call to audition for that. And they said, can you play funk? I was like, Yeah. Of course. (laughs) There it is. You know, I I was 21, 22. I'm from Santa Monica, California. I don't know what funk is. I still don't really know. (laughs) You know, I I was listening to to Gillis's episode of No Guitar Is Safe earlier, and he was playing all that funk stuff, and I was like, yeah, I still don't know how to do that. (laughs) You know, even after playing in this great funk band, John Moffat playing drums, you know. Phenomenal, phenomenal band. Mike Scott playing guitar. Luckily for me, it was Mike Scott playing guitar. And Mike Scott is the funkiest guitar player on the planet. He's played with Prince and Justin Timberlake, and you know. And so, luckily, Mike Scott was there to take a lot of that stuff because I wouldn't know what to do, you know. And my sort of limited idea, my limited self-taught idea of funk guitar playing, I was like, that's not that fast. Like, <laughs> I can play that fast. And I quickly learned that it had nothing to do with playing fast and everything to do with the feel of it. You know, Mike Scott is a very good guitar player. I'm faster. I can play more sweeps than he can. But Mike Scott can play more with one note on one string than I can play with all these mixolydian, harmonic minor nonsense that 
you know, as Bill LaFleur would say, garbage <laughs> that I know how to do. You don't need that garbage, he kept saying. This is garbage. Yeah. Man. Um, I know Mike Scott, too. I've interviewed him before. We're buddies. Dude, oh Mike Scott. How, with him. how awesome is Mike Scott? Oh, he's the funkiest cat. And, you know, yeah. you see him on stage with Prince and, like, even if you were completely deaf, you would be grooving just watching oh, yeah. him. You see him moving. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Feel it. Even <laughs> oh, if he's totally. just playing one note. That's exactly. That's the yeah. mic. I, I always thought of that as the Mike Scott special, the one note. Just like. And I'm doing the string noise on purpose. But it doesn't sound like how he does it when I do it. But he gets string noise in there, but it sounds right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's it's so like, nasty. Now, you know what? And when Tot- I do, it just sounds like beep, 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 like I'm not funky. Morse code? No. Yeah. Beep, beep, S-O-S. Get this. Get some <laughs> funk in here, please. <laughs> no, no. You're funkier than you realize. We're, funk is something we're like anything else. We're, we're always learning to be funkier and deeper in the pocket our yeah. whole lives. Mike Scott is the guy that taught me how to do a double stop bend because I didn't know how to yeah. do it. I didn't know how to do it, and I had to do the beat it solo on that gig. And you know, again, this self-taught thing just really bit me in the butt. And I didn't like. There's all this stuff, and uh, I was doing that solo. And Moffat's like, that first note doesn't sound. You know, John Moffat was our MD, Sugarfoot. and Sugarfoot, the great, the oh man, playing with him was so cool. <laughs> I, I was just you. watching This Is It the other day, and I was like, sort of like reminiscing about how cool it was jamming with him. Moffat would sort of engineer these huge jams. And I found it so boring because I only got to solo for like a second, you know, and I was the only one that didn't know anybody. I was the only girl. I was 20 years younger than everybody there. And then everyone had, you know, toured together. Oh, he was, he was in Madonna's band with him and he was in Prince's band with these guys. And I didn't know anybody. And like, the only person I knew was the engineer who had recommended me. And like, he was all the way over in monitor world and I was out on the floor by myself. And so I would take this sort of eight bar solo and then like, retreat mm-hmm. but Moffat would engineer these sometimes 20 minute jams of everybody you know it would just be playing the same thing for 20 minutes and I was going oh god right. <laughs> how much longer are we going to be playing this riff but then right, give me once the riff. I, now you get to do your chance oh, you get to see. take a solo now <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember what the actual riff was It's not, it's not, it's weird, you know, and I'm trying to think of what the actual riff was, but it was always something yeah. simple like that. And then it would be like this really long extended bass solo, real long extended keyboard solo. And then I'd be over there. Going, uh, uh. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is before I knew about the magic extra note. <laughs> I didn't even know about any of that. The magic extra note in the, in the pentatonic. 
Because yeah. all before that, so you know, we're doing the the beat. It, we're doing okay. So here's a great story. I, I don't tell this story that much. So we were going over uh, a lot of the Jermaine Jackson solo stuff. Do what you do. Um, you know the, these kind of songs. Um, and then we were supposed to. It was Friday night. It was like Friday afternoon. You know, we were about to break for the day, and we we're going to start doing the MJ stuff the following week. I hadn't learned it yet. I was focusing on uh, on the Jermaine solo stuff. Right. And uh, they said, oh, and so John Moffat said, hey, guys, before we go, um, let's run Beat It. And I was like, shit. That's a bad <laughs> feeling. I know that feeling. <laughs> shit. He goes, when we come back from lunch, let's run Beat It. And I was like, oh, my God. Because I knew that was the big reason I was there. Because they needed, you know, like they wanted the, the vibe of Jen Batten doing it and then Orianti doing it. And, uh, you know, Jennifer is my hero. You know, Jennifer was the only girl guitar player I liked for so many years. I thought that Beat It solo was so cool the way she did it. And, like, and then, and all of a sudden now I have 30 minutes to learn it, I have 30 minute lunch break to learn it. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I sit there. So I go, I get headphones on. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay. Okay. And then, you know, as you know better than anybody, Jude, the Eddie Van Halen version of the solo is unlearnable because it's just like, in this my theory about this solo is it was such an early phase of tapping such an early phase of the way that you know this technique that would become so popular it wasn't really exact it's not like he's going you know he was kind of like, it's just sort of like this haphazard like cool sounding but not really playable like not really learnable note for note so I'm like okay I'll just get this I'll hit these high points so you know I'll I'll get the main parts and then I'll do some stuff and then I'll end. So I'm like, I'll end with that, I'll do that. And uh, so I went in there, we ran, beat it, and I did this solo. I did the solo of my life, dude. <laughs> I did the solo, I mean, like, I hit these, you know. Like, and I got that, and then I went into this big, cool legato thing, and I just, like, was right in the middle of the floor, just, like, nailing it, and, like, hair flipping back and forth, and, like, and everyone's going, I look back after I finished the solo, and Mike Scott was going, <laughs> clapping, nice. and I was like, yeah, that was the coolest moment ever. Finish the song, and they go, Mavi goes, that's great, uh, let's try it, Nita, let's try the solo again, and this time do it like the record. Ooh. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. Yes, of course, absolutely. We did it, and I got way just too way too into my head, way too into my own head. Started off, hit hit the wrong first note, and then I hit the wrong, and they sent me home. I like I got and I got done with that solo, and I was like, oh no. I found out later that they had asked Mike Scott to call up some other guitar players for Monday in case I was like, Mob is like Nita. He goes, go ahead, take the rest of the day, go home and learn it, go home like. You're you're basically he didn't say get out, but he's like, You're done. You're done for today. Go home and learn that solo. I was like, Yep, absolutely. Wow. Went back, crying in my car the way home. I didn't learn it. Like uh and I so I stayed up all all weekend. I was driving everybody in my house crazy, walking around playing you know, I learned it in an hour, you know, really when you sit down and do it, it's not a long solo. And I was walking around my house all weekend playing it with I didn't take the guitar off all weekend and then on mm. Monday I came in and and did it, and I think somebody said, thank God, after this song, because <laughs> yeah. we were about to leave for tour. That's an important part. Yeah, it's the most important part, and it was actually a huge lesson for me, um, because now, you know, having been, that was my first real hired gig. It was my second one, but it was my first big one, 
And uh, it really stressed the importance of being overprepared. And that's something I talk about in my clinics a lot, you know. Like when I was getting ready to audition for Alice Cooper, I didn't know what songs they wanted me to play. So I just, I looked on setlist.fm. I saw all the songs they were learning. I just started running them down. I figured they were probably going to do Schools Out and 18 and the, you know, Poison and the basic ones. But I just started running these songs down from Hello Hooray down to Schools Out, the last song on the set. It's 30, 26 songs, I think. I just started running all of them down because I wanted to walk into that audition and say, what do you guys want to play? Not, nice. not what do you know? Not what do you, okay, Nita, this is a new guitar player. What are you comfortable with? Anything you guys want. Anything you guys want to play. It turned out to be totally unnecessary, but I'm glad I did it because I ended up having to learn all the songs anyway. That's so great. I think the best way, you know, people ask a lot, what's the best way to go about being a hired guitar player? What's the best way to go about being a hired gun? And I think that's the most important thing. Just familiarize yourself with the catalog, especially what the band is doing now. So that's, yeah. for me, that was a... And, and God, I wish I would have done that for the Jermaine thing. Well, yeah, if you can get any videos to see how they do transitions or oh, absolutely. which parts they stretch out or well, how, any endings yeah. that they do every time. It's, you know, it's imperative. Actually, what I did when I got the, when I got the final call saying, you know, congratulations, you start, you start in two weeks. Um, I asked for a mix of the, the board. I asked for, you know, a mix of, of the, uh, from the soundboard of, of one of the most recent shows with my guitar parts really high up in the mix. So that way I'd be able to hear exactly what I'm supposed to be playing, hear the nuances of like what harmony to take and whatever. And then about a week later, I asked for the same exact show with my guitar parts taken out. So I could play along to it and make sure I wasn't following along. Do they track everything in multi-track Pro Tools or thing? Um, I think they must have done it. I'm not sure if they record every show. I think they must have done it knowing there was going to be another guitar player coming in. That's they smart. actually did the same thing. Um, in Jermaine's band, they said, uh, listen to what Jen did. They listened to what Jennifer did, and they would play me her isolated guitar. And uh, so I could sort of pick out those things. Man, she's so clean, too, Jennifer. Like, her playing yeah. is so clean. I don't even want to hear a board mix of my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of us don't. But. No. Hey, let's, so let's play a little Alice Cooper. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. School's Out is such a rocking tune. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Thank you. 
that's awesome. Uh, once again, I'm just thinking it. about how much fun you are having. Oh my god! And the funniest, <laughs> the funnest part when that solo kicks in. Uh, Alice goes, it's party time, right when my solo starts. And uh, we bring out these big, huge balloons. They're like, you know, two, like barely, barely big enough for a person to hold, these giant balloons. And we throw them out into the crowd, and people bounce them back, and we kick them back. And Alice pops the balloons with a sword, and confetti comes out. And it's a party. You know, an Alice Cooper show is a, is a fun party wow. to be at. I'll tell you and that. It's fun on stage, and I imagine it's fun in the crowd. And so what are some of the other antics that he's doing these days? I mean, he's known for, first of all, we still have the snake. Boa we do still have the snake. Julius Squeezer is alive and well. But yeah, uh, Julius Squeezer is our snake, and uh, he travels with us on the bus. He has a bunk on the bus. <laughs> There's other stuff in the junk. It's, it's the junk bunk. But it's fun to say he has a bunk. He lives in a, a little case, and uh, he hangs out. He's, he's pretty friendly and cool. He lives in a big case. Uh, no, it's actually really not. It's like a little sort of like a looks like a sort of a carry on. Um, you know those those Pet suitcases carrier? you see businessmen have that have like a laptop and this kind of stuff in it. Really? Um, maybe the size of I don't can't think of the size of a guitar body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not uh, it's not that big of a case. It's funny, you know. People will bring us stuff like uh, you know people bring Alice gifts and stuff all the time to shows. Somebody brought a huge coffin shaped case not a coffee case but a right. huge coffin shaped wooden box and they're like this is for the snake and we're like where are we supposed to put it we live on a tour bus like <laughs> you know it's we always like it's so nice to get presents it's so thoughtful that people think of us but when you give us a five foot long giant wooden coffin it's like what are we gonna do with this we That's need funny. we need to put backpacks and stuff in that junk bunk too so we've got um we've got the snake We've got uh, the fire curtain that we come on to. There's like a big waterfall of fire, basically, that we enter the stage through. And really? uh, everyone asks. It's like sort of sparks, like not right. like fire, a sheet of fire. But it's like a sheet of sparks. And I, my stage pants can attest to that it is hot because they're my, my stage pants that I wore all year last year, uh, like sort of leathery pants are completely, they look like they've been in a war, like machine gun holes all over from the sparks burning through them. Interesting. Uh, so the sparks, he, of course, he gets killed. Uh, not as many times. I know there was, a, uh, I think it was the Theater of Death tour where he got killed like nine times on stage or something. It's not like that. He does get killed, though. How's he getting killed these days? The guillotine. Has it always been the guillotine? Um, no, I think he's been <laughs> impaled and hanged and, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I remember the hang. He had an yeah, accident once. There's, yeah, there's been a whole lot of stuff, but uh, almost, is now uh, the guillotine. He almost really got hanged one night. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's been uh, some crazy stories that I've heard about props going weird and our, our prop guy, Pat, almost got killed once, you know, I think trying out the hanging thing for the first time. Uh, they, thankfully, they had left the platform because the first time they tried it, something went wrong. And if the platform hadn't been there, he would have actually fallen through. <laughs> stuff like that. So it's it's real stuff. You know, those swords, you know, he uses swords on stage with the billion dollar babies, giving them money and stuff. Those swords are sharp. Decapitating um, them? Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> you know, throwing the money. You know, he sticks the billion dollar bills on the sword and tosses it in the audience. And, um, the you know he uses a whip a lot of the time and you know Tommy Henriksen one of the guitar players has gotten stabbed with the sword I've gotten got with the whip a couple times pretty good mm -hmm. so you do have to stay you know the main thing is to be mindful spatially of where everybody and everything is on stage because with three guitar players and you know three guitar players and a bass player and Alice running around with sharp objects and you know Frankenstein and a guillotine you just have to be very spatially aware of what's going on it's like the most important thing more so than most bands but 
I think that also shows a band that's been playing together for a while, a band that has good chemistry versus one that doesn't. You know, a lot of bands are not really aware of where each other are on stage, and that's sort of telling. Now, uh, what is Alice the Man like? Well, first of all, you know, we had him as a valedictorian, what, what do you call it? The keynote speaker mm-hmm. at a graduation, the commencement speaker, gave him an honorary degree and everything. See, cap that's and why gown. I wanted to go to MI, because you guys do cool stuff like that. And he was the coolest speaker i think we, we had a lot of great speakers but he was so humble and his feet seemed just so on the ground but the Absolutely. advice he gave was so real world i wish i could remember it but i feel he, very privileged to to have that advice available to me at any time that i want it you know because you know a lot of people are like well how do you guys travel how do you do this and that you know a lot of people are surprised to find out we travel on a bus all together we're a regular band you know alice doesn't have his own bus it's not like he's here and we're there we all we're a family we live together we fight we play you know it's you know i'm in a band with five big brothers and our cool dad and mom you know like alice and his wife cheryl are so cool to be around and they uh they really do give great advice like great um great insight into the music world and alice has seen it all he's been through it all you know he's been a megastar for you know upwards of 40 years and to have that nearby when i when i say i'm getting overwhelmed with this or i'm getting frustrated with this or somebody was mean to me at meet and greet you know <laughs> like somebody was wearing an oriathi t-shirt at meet and greet and they said mean stuff to me you know like someone said mean stuff to you at a meeting? people say mean stuff to me all like, the time because oriathi fans hate me <laughs> like oh man yeah like she is lovely. She's yeah, amazing she's great, and a yeah. great player. But we have such disparate styles that a lot of the fa- the fan base doesn't cross over. You know, a lot of it does and a lot of it doesn't, you know. Man, you know, like fans say weird stuff. It always blows my mind. Like, it's such a weird world that we live in now, especially you think about the internet and, you know, people go on, you know, these websites, you know, and comments and say that some of this stuff, you know, I don't read it anymore. Like, because some of the stuff people say, it's like it would never occur to me to go up to a professional musician in a band I like and say some of these things. Like, it just would never even occur to me. It's such yeah. a strange concept. Like Trolls are very trolls. common on the internet. Sometimes you'll meet them in person. Usually they hide behind things. Usually they do, but I've had the... Uh, I, well, I would say... It's it is kind of funny to to encounter the troll and it's uh, outside of its natural habitat like, of under the usually, bridge. Right, <laughs> <laughs> they come out from under the bridge and they come to shows and sometimes they come to meet and greet. <laughs> like, I'll yeah, yeah. I'll be watching you. You know, this the weird stuff like that. And you know, when I first got in the Alice band, this guitar player I don't I don't think this guitar player knows anything about real rock and roll. All she wants to do is show off. It's like yeah, that is all I want to do. <laughs> so what? <laughs> Hey, that's what, that's who I am. I'm a big show off. Um, but it's great, you know, having having Alice and having this sort of grounding influence. And, you know, he's you can learn a lot from watching him. I've seen him be interrupted, you know, at dinner with his wife or, you know, when he's he's at the mall shopping or anything. And he's always so gracious and so cool and so humble and never once acts like somebody's bothering him. You know, when he's eating dinner with his beautiful wife, the last thing I think he probably wants to hear about is the first time somebody bought billion-dollar babies and the first time they heard this and that, and, you know. But he will never turn somebody away. He'll never, you know, like, even when it would be easier to say, hey, can I finish my food and then I'll come over and talk to you? He will take time out of his day, whatever he's doing, to talk to anybody about their experience with his music. And and that's, it's so inspirational. You know, you see people like, well, I'm, I'm eating now. I'm busy now. And this is my personal time. And he doesn't have any concept of that. And uh, Chef Gordon, his manager, said to me, I, you know, I was talking to him about this. And he said, 
well, the, you know, the, the time you'll have a problem is when they stop coming up to you. That's true. Which is, you know, I was like, well, good point. <laughs> we could do a whole episode about Shep. I, you know, I finally started watching the movie Superman. Did that, you not that, see it yet? That Mike Myers made. Yeah, I, that's a good it's movie. It's been like right in the front of my Netflix yeah. queue. It's streaming. It's the most amazing movie. I tried to watch it all before our interview. I got halfway through. I can't wait to watch the rest oh, of it. Oh, it's, it's such a good movie. It's such a good movie. You know, watching that movie makes me want to be a better person. I like movies like that. And uh, Shep is really like that in person. Like to anybody that's seen this documentary, Shep is the embodiment of that movie. Like he will have your back. I mean, he'll make, you know, what what decisions make the most sense, but he will have your back. He'll give great advice. He will, you know, I went through, when I joined the Alice Cooper band, I went through some turmoil with, you know, someone who wanted to manage me. And Shep said, look, I'm available to you. He's like, I'm not going to manage you, but I'm available to you for any advice you need or anything like that. And I have called on him for that. And he's, he's always come through, you know, Shep is a, a really amazing person. What an amazing guy to have in, in your phone book on your phone. Right. Wow. Yeah. Even if it's just to stay in Maui for a week. <laughs> is the, are the parties still crazy? Oh, I've, only, I've been one time. <laughs> I, I, I played at his charity event um, last year and it was a, uh, it was a, it was a really cool party. You know, Nuno Bencourt and Steven Tyler sitting in the in the garden jamming on Dream On and and uh, wow. stuff like that. You know, it's like, whoa, okay, I'm here. I know what I'm doing here. Is hopefully nobody likes, nobody notices. <laughs> I still feel like that all the time. It's funny, you know, having been a guitar player in the scene for 13 years now. You know, I'm 28. I've been touring since 15. And I still sort of feel like at some point somebody's going to look over and be like, hey, what's she doing here? Get her out of here. <laughs> you know, but I'm I'm thankful that nobody has yet. So, so yeah, I was watching this video from, and maybe mm-hmm. I can find it here. We can listen to it. Where you are just having the time of your life and you're playing this amazing, like, cadenza. Just going off. That moment that you guys just heard is uh, is the guitar solo in the Cooper show, and um, so I came in. I came into the Alice Cooper band, and it was really sort of sort of built in. It, you know, there wasn't a lot of here's you know here's do you want to do this or do you want to do that. It was very built in. Here's the parts. This is what we're doing. This, you know, and it was sort of plug and play. And uh, one of the things that was plugged in already was the guitar solo. And it's a very sort of simple, it's not what I would choose to solo, it's just. I was like, really? It doesn't move anywhere? You guys can't throw an F or a G? So it's just, it's literally just an A power chord. Actually, it's not even a guitar, it's just bass and drums. Now you sound just like Eddie Van Halen, because when he went in for Beat It, he's like, really? Over one chord, he made them... The really? reason it has changes is because he suggested I want to solo over the verse with some changes. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. You ever. have that in common. with Aha! Him. See, I'm cool. <laughs> Trade <laughs> okay, guitars so. with me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the main thing I wanted to steer away from in that solo was just staying in A. Right. It'd be so easy mm-hmm. to just to stay in A. So I went. I made sure I you know modulate down to. <laughs> to get out of the sort of A minor pentatonic box. And uh, 
another thing I do on that solo, which seems to baffle so many people, is because um, I'm running around the stage, kneeling down, throwing guitar around, and was going, "Where's that wah coming from?" Is your everyone thinks my tech's in the back pressing it? It's actually an ADSR wah. It's an attack wah, which uh, is part of the Rocktron Prophecy MIDI preamp that I use. I've got one here on the Boss GT100 that I'm using today, and uh, it's basically for those that don't know how it works, it's it works by Anytime the, you, it has, it hears the attack of the pick, it presses the wah pedal. It's, nice. So I can run around the stage. And I didn't use my feet at all. It's easy. It's great for legato. And then when you pick a strong note, it yeah, kicks in? Exactly. Well, you hi, I had to really adjust my picking style to do it because you can't... It makes no sense. It's just wah, wah, wah. It's like it's as if your foot is going crazy on the thing. So you really have to. So it's fun, you know, right. and and you still get the the vibe of the wah that sort of. And you can run around the stage. You're not tied down to where the pedal is. And I know a lot of people have like multiple pedal stations around around the stage and stuff. So you can run around and do the solos. But I just thought I'd simplify it and use the attack wah. Oh, it sounds cool. I mean, it sounds slightly different than a wah, you know? It does. So. Yeah, it gives a different color. That's for sure. I mean, it's not going to sound like a bad horsey. It's not, you know, and uh, you can dial it. You can dial the sound of it. Uh, not really on this one, but on this unit, but on the Rocktron unit that I have, you can dial it, you know, how you want it to sound and thin it out or thicken it or whatever but i like it i like using stuff like that i think it's important to utilize these cool new things that we have available to us now harmonizers and autowas and you know this kind of stuff because that's that's what's going to help the it's going to help the sport evolve you know playing guitar is it's a it's like a sport you want to bring it you want to bring it forward i like your thinking yeah now you also have some big echoes and delays on that solo that you for a while you seem like you're it's my same lead channel. It just has the, but my lead channel is pretty wet. I will say. What, what were you doing? You were like doing some big bar dives or something. Oh yeah, at the, at the in end, the middle of it. <laughs> well, one of the things I love about these Ibanez bridges is you can, and especially the S series I use, and even the RG I used to use, you can pick the whole guitar up by the bar. <laughs> Um, and yeah, you pick the whole guitar up by the bar. My my bridge is missing a piece, so my the bar gets loose every once in a while. But um, you can pick the whole guitar up by the bar and shake it around. That looked amazing. It looked like the guitar was levitating. It does, and that's why I sort of I do a little like a little uh, little. It's not what you would call sleight of hand, but I put my hand over the guitar so it looks like I'm levitating it. You know, on the when I do that on stage, I I do. And the amazing thing is. These bridges, the guitar stays oh, yeah. perfectly in tune. That's not fair. Yeah, it's fair. And <laughs> the thing is, I've never seen another guitar that can do this. Wow. Yeah, they got perfectly I, in tune. Ibanez is really, and it's that's one of those bridges that has actual bearings. Instead, yeah. it doesn't have the knife edge grinding this thing. This is the happening. ZR bridge. Yeah, it's a ZR it's bridge. I've, I've reviewed bearings. one of those once, and yeah, it, it's got a, it's like a skateboard. To me, it's like skateboard yeah, wheels. Like skateboard. It's got yeah, the actual sealed bearings in there. Yeah. 
So I can't find, I've never seen another guitar that you can abuse like that and that stays so perfectly in tune. A lot of it is also it's the strings and your, you know, the way that you play. And I use these uh, new Daddario NYXL strings and those strings never go out of tune unless they're not stretched properly. I've had people go, I bought the Daddario strings because you told me to buy Daddario strings. I bought Daddario strings and, and like, how long did you stretch them for? They're like, what do you mean stretch? You have to stretch your strings. It's yeah, it's not even the strings, it's the guitar. The strings yeah. is actually Floyd Rose. I he, I talked to him for 20 minutes about this mm. at NAM. And when he had the new guitar that the strings are exactly the length. There's no, you know what I mean? They have right. two ball ends. <laughs> right. And he says strings do not stretch. Really? It's, it's what they're settling in. They're settling in oh, the windings okay. and the, the whoever complained to you about that. The problem is their guitar, not the strings. Yeah, exactly. It's your guitar. User <laughs> error is what it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I just know that my strings, because I'm so rough on the whammy bar, I've actually had guitar companies ask me to test out their bridges for them because I'm so rough on whammy bars. <laughs> I now have a reputation for being hard on my bridges. I've actually had guitar companies that are developing new uh, floating bridges send me guitars to test out and report back. Um, so like, that's a pretty cool reputation to have, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I didn't even realize. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah you're just... Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I abuse them. They, they, they do. I have, I have spare bridges for all my guitars out, my tech, Brian. But so Brian has to go through a very rigorous string stretching or settling process uh, for all my guitars every time he changes strings because I will... I'll mess this thing up, you know? Yeah. Um, and I use the I use the bar a lot during solos too, you know. I do I do a lot of vibrato with the bar. I use the bar a lot during solos and a lot of it was because my vibrato for a very long time was not very good. But I was good at using a whammy bar. So I got, you know, And I like the sort of unique color that it gives your vibrato. You know, it's it's not just the same. You can get that sort yeah. of more frantic sound out of it. That's awesome. Are you uh, using Black Stars on the road? Black Stars Series 1 EL 34s. Um, I love these heads. And I was surprised that I did because I was always a Bogner kid like you know ever since i first went to guitar center on ventura and i played my first bogner uber shawl i was like i love this head i love everything about this and um and when i was in jermaine jackson's band actually i went into bogner and uh it's a great story actually <laughs> i went into bogner uh i was you know trying stuff out trying this and trying that and i was like well i like this i don't like that i like that i don't like this and the one beef that I've always had with the Uber shawl is that I don't like that second channel. I like the distortion, the lead channel, but I don't, I don't like that dirty other channel. I can't really do anything with it for me. So I was like, well, I like this, but I don't like that. I like the Shiva, the but this, but I don't like that. And I like this. And then they try to trip me up. They're like, what about this and versus this? I was like, I like this. I don't like that. They're like, ha, that's the same head. I was like, sounds different to me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I was like, sorry. Like, I don't mean to be rude, but that sounds different to me. And they're like, Oh wait, this one has KT88s. This one has EL34. She's right. It is different. Like it's nice. marginally different. But I'm a take KT. That. I'm a yeah, take that. I'm a KT88 lifer. Like I love KT88 tubes. I never ever thought I would play anything that wasn't a KT88. And finally, I was like, well, I like this, but I don't like that. I like that, but I don't like this. And I this, you know, and I think I'm just there with some A and R guys, and you know, I can kind of be picky. And then this really big tall guy stood up and walked out of the room. 
And I was like, what's that guy's problem? They're like, oh, he, you know, sometimes he takes stuff personally because it's his name on the amp. I was like, Reinhold. What? Who is that? He's like, they're like, that's Reinhold Bogner. It's like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I messed that one up. Yeah. Um, and then Reinhold, and he, so he walked out, and I was just like, basically had my tail between my legs. I was like, listen, and he's like, what do you want? I was like, I want this. I want the ecstasy clean channel, and I want the Ubershaw distortion channel. He's like, we'll see what we can do. And I came in, I walked into rehearsal at center staging a few days later and my JSX was gone and in its place was a brand new piano white Uber shawl with an ecstasy clean channel. Wow. And KT 88, it's like everything customized. You know, if you look, if you open up the back of it, it has Reinhold's handwriting on the tubes. Like I just have, I have a Picasso painted by Picasso for me. Like totally. it's so that's, that's still my, that's, that's a, my baby. Like I love, dream, I love, I love that amp. Love that amp. But joining the Alice Cooper band, I need something more rock. I need something more versatile and more, you know, that's it's such a great metal amp, but I needed something that had that rock kind of tone. And and I had Ezra going, What's wrong with the Les Paul? What's wrong with the Marshall and a Les Paul? And I was like, I can't play Les Paul. I love my happiness. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so I uh, I called up Blackstar because they uh, I love these this head because MIDI switchable, which is uh, imperative for me because I don't even have a pedal board. You know, I've, all my stuff is rack mount and the only thing on the floor for me is a MIDI controller. So uh, it's all MIDI switchable. It's all, uh, it's so easy, you know, and it's, and it's so versatile. Which MIDI controller are you using? Uh, Rocktron All Access. I've had the same, I've had the same Rocktron Prophecy and All Access since 2008. So you're running that into the... Running that into the, yeah, into the Blackstar. Simple. And... Um, there's not a whole lot going on. You know, everyone's like, oh, you must have this really complicated rack. You, know, you see pictures of the edge and, you know, all these guys, you know, set up. Um, I have a 10 space rack and two heads. You know, I went down from, I downsized from a 24 space rack to a 10 space, two heads. And uh, that's basically it. A whirlwind switcher and power conditioner and uh, sure wireless. That's it. Running two 4x12s? Yep. Two uh, same ones, the Blackstar Series 1 412s. I saw you on TV. TV! That's not hard to do. I saw you on That Metal Show. Actually, I think I saw the YouTube version. Yeah. What were you playing on that? That looked like a fun day. That was so scary. <laughs> it was It was amazing. That Metal Show was, was a great experience, but the interesting thing that I never really thought about for that show is you don't really have time to warm up or do anything. You know, you, you, you go and you sit there, and my episode was, of course, Ace Freely and Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad. Wow. And, uh... But Ace, you know, just sitting there and seeing Ace freely 15 feet away, like, luckily he didn't, he was so nice, not judgmental at all. And before that was mm. Kirk Hammett. <laughs> they filmed two episodes that day. First thing I do when I walk in is see Kirk Hammett and I was like, I don't even want to play now. <laughs> um, and then you're there and uh, there's no warm-up time or anything. It's just, okay, they talk, they interview and they go, okay, need a play. And right. you, know, you can't be sitting there warming up because then you're going to get picked up by the mic and you know all this yeah. stuff so you really just have to quietly sit there but luckily they let you film it again later right no <laughs> no there was no i didn't get my redos so they told you what did i they didn't tell me get this? my i didn't get uh they're like yeah you can uh you know you know, whatever you want to whatever you want to redo you can just uh you know like do whatever you want and then if there's anything you don't feel you don't feel good with you can do it again after i was like okay and then they'll just fly that's it in no pressure yeah that's, that's no big deal and then of course we get done then i do my interview after the show and i go okay so when are we gonna do these re re these redos that you guys talked about they're like oh we already let the audience go like you, you, we're sorry we're done now i was like but you i 
but you said, and they're like, well, who told you that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know anybody here. They just so, tell artists that to get them relaxed while they're playing. And then later, like, oh, we got you relaxed. Yeah. Well, you know what? To their credit, it totally worked because I was really stressed out. And uh, I don't think I've ever, you know, I've been playing for a long time. I don't really get that nervous anymore. I was really nervous. And it sort of surprised me how nervous I got. Um, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I was like, ah! <laughs> like, and, um, but it was fun. You know, it's, it's fun to just go up there and show off. You know, yeah. playing in a band, you really have to, you know, be mindful of the song, be mindful of the band, be mindful of, you know, the audience. And this, this was just like, okay, go up there and show off for 15 seconds. And that was fun. And there's been a lot of great guitar players in that chair before you. Like, I'm thinking out loud here. I know Joel Hoekstra Joel did was it. there. Did Damon, it? Damon Johnson was the one before me on, the, on that same day, which I love. I'm a huge fan of Damon's. I know Zach Wilde has done it. Michelangelo is on it this year. It's, it's basically yeah. like who's who of, of great guitar players. And when the announcement went out, you know, when Blattermouth and everybody picked up that metal show, new season starting, here's a list of guitar players. I was looking at it and I was like, that's my name. That's my name on this list. I still couldn't believe it. I feel the same way when I look at the Wikipedia of Alice's guitar players. And it's just right. like, you go down the list, Al Petrelli and, and uh, Red Beach and, and Steve Hunter and Dick Wagner. And, and you see the best of the best. And then at the very bottom of the list, there's my name. And I'm like, this is really happening. This You're is part real of life. History. Yeah, that's never going to go away. That's a very special band too, because I mean, that's one of the few bands, Alice Cooper that invented a genre absolutely you know people there's ozzy but he really came later and he did his own thing yeah <laughs> but alice he took that thing and put it together he did his yeah he really he's a pioneer he's, and yeah. uh it's great it's it's great playing these shows and seeing the mix of people you know I've, I've played in a lot of bands over the years and usually there's a sort of demographic of the show it'll be like oh this is mostly you know like you know my original bands in la my metal bands has been like okay this is dudes between the age of 18 and 30 you know like this this band has a lot of you know older crowd at their shows this band has a lot of you know see like asking alexandria or something they have a lot of younger fans at their shows this is like we have from like five-year-olds wearing the alice cooper makeup to like cool teenagers wearing the t-shirts to like you know middle like you know 20s and 30s couples coming to the show together to like people that have been following alice since the 70s and and longer i mean it's cool it's just like a great mix of of everybody and it just brings all these generations together and it's it's yeah. just cool to see it's cool to look out from the stage and be a part of that people bring in their kids and maybe oh, their grandkids yeah. the kids <laughs> the kids is the fun part for me and and uh from the very beginning when i started playing guitar i always thought how come there's not you know i didn't know who jennifer batten was until later and you know i was just getting you know when i started playing i was just getting into vi and satriani and you know whoever i could find in guitar magazines and I always thought, who, where are the girls? Like, where are the girls at? Like, and there wasn't anybody I thought was any good, you know? And I don't mean to, I, you know, I mean absolutely no disrespect to Lita Ford and Joan Jett and Hart, you know, and, and everybody that came before. Because they really, they paved the way for it to be easy for me. It's not hard for me now. It's not weird for me to walk into a venue with a guitar case and no one, no one thinks I'm carrying my boyfriend's guitar. You know, it's, it's not weird anymore. It used to be when I first started playing maybe, but they really blazed the trail for that. But as far as the shred stuff, as far as the really complex stuff, it wasn't really, it was Michelle Meldrum, who I didn't know about till much later, who was in Phantom Blue. 
and Jennifer Batten. Those are the only two that I knew about for a long time. I didn't know about them when I started playing. And now I get to play these shows and I have, you know, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, sometimes even younger or older girls come up to me and their parents say, I bought my daughter a guitar because we saw you play last year. And she wants to play like you, you know, and I always get, that's like the that's best um, feeling in the world. Giving me goosebumps. Just, it's giving me goosebumps so thinking sweet. about it. You know, if I can just inspire one little girl to pick up the guitar or guy, you know, it's, it's cool to inspire. Yeah. But when I, it just, I didn't have that, you know, there wasn't somebody that I look up and say, I could be her, you know, gymnasts have that, swimmers have that, you know, everybody there's, but there's not, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't have a, a Barbie with a guitar yet, you know, maybe they will. <laughs> maybe they will listen Mattel yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but to. but if I can just be that for one person you know and there's this great onslaught of great female talent you know Neely Brosh who we've talked about and Courtney and Irene Kedikiti and Gretchen Men and like there's this onslaught of phenomenal female talent out there now so it's just cool to be a part of it's cool to be a part of the wave that's starting to bring it to to mass consciousness if you will. Absolutely. And you're right on the front of that wave, which is really cool. I hope so. I want to, and I want to do good, good things with it. You know, like I don't want to be up there like, like drinking and partying and doing drugs. And you're like, I want to, I want to be a good, I want to be a good influence. You know, I want to be, if, if a, if a girl looks at me and sees, I don't want to be like that. I wanted to have a cool life and be nice to people and not be crazy and just have a good time and, and be a good guitar player. So that's what you're doing. I yeah. know it. I recognize it when I run into you at like NAM conventions or whatever. And you do, you. you do project all that. I, thank you so much for coming down today. Oh, it's been awesome. And it's so much doing fun. This. It's been really, really great. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Take it out on 18 or something from Alice Cooper. Let's do it. And there's something about just playing a big power chord with your friend or your bandmate and you're both playing a giant chord and it's in stereo. It's just, it's really a cool thing. It's cool when you're in the studio and you double yourself, but it's not the same. Something about two human beings playing the same riff that just sounds so stereophonic and monstrous. Two different guitars, two different feels, but the same riff. Did a little bit of that there and some of those riffs with Nita and I enjoyed that. Thanks to Guitar Player Magazine once again. 
thank you as well to Zoom, who provide the H6 Handy Recorder. We use that. You all know what it would sound like without Zoom. Check out that Shep Gordon movie called Supermensch, directed by Mike Myers. And uh, you know if Mike Myers decides to do a movie about a rock and roll manager, that that guy's pretty interesting. And yes, Shep is interesting. My friend Jen Bergeron was pestering me to watch that, and I finally did, and I was <laughs> really loved it. I mean, Shep is like a combination of Bill Graham and Larry David or something. At least not as grumpy as Larry David. But yeah, kick-ass personality, great interviews. And man, when Tom Arnold made that wise crack about raw vegetables causing <laughs> a certain health problem for Shep, I almost fell out laughing. I mean, Tom Arnold kills me and head to the no guitar safe facebook page where you can see nita do her levitating ibanez move a lot more cool episodes coming so take inspiration from your friend nita and keep it on 11 till you're 90 11 which would be 101 years old Keep it rockin'.